Well, good evening, saints. Good evening. We have been uh, going through this uh, series called God's Master Plan for Everything. We started at the very beginning of creation. We studied creation. Then we moved on to the fall. Then we looked at redemption, what I call the long, slow process of preparing mankind for her Savior. And uh, uh, we, we kind of concluded that by talking about the um, work of Christ and, and all he's accomplished. Before that, we had talked about the person of Christ. So now we're transitioning sections from redemption to proclamation. And then after that, we will move on to restoration. Uh, but one of the things I, I think about, and this uh, reviews a little bit, uh, that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has demonstrated that he is king over all, that he has victoriously defeated all his enemies. Jesus demonstrates through his death and resurrection that he is the Son of God, resurrected in the power of an everlasting life. Jesus demonstrates in his death and resurrection that he is the Savior of all people, offering salvation to all those who believe. He's defeated sin and death. He accomplishes all these things. He appears to the disciples and others. And then he leaves. And one of the things uh, I wonder as, as we look at, you know, he's just demonstrated his power, his authority, all these, all these things. You know, before that, some of the people were wondering, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were accusing him. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Son of David. He's not the promised one. And his disciples were, were saying, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ. And then after he proves and demonstrates all these things, he shows himself to his disciples and others. And then he kind of leaves, and we've got to ask the question, why? By the way, the disciples have a similar question in Acts 1, 6-11. They, they come to him and say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he responds to them. He said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So notice at the beginning, the disciples have the same question. You know, why... Are, are, are you going to restore the kingdom? After he's just demonstrated that he's king, that he's the son of God, that he's the savior, that he's the Christ, that he's the Messiah, all the, all these things. He, he uh, you know, at that point, you know, why, why do we go, why don't we go from that to the restoration? To bringing in the kingdom. And that's what the disciples ask. Uh, Jesus, in, in a way, kind of uh, puts them off, said, it's not for you to know those times. But in the meantime, I have a task for you. I have a job for you. There is a responsibility that is delegated to you. You're going to be my witnesses. You've seen the resurrection. You've seen all that I've commanded you. And uh, and moving out in concentric circles, going broader and broader out, 
starting in Jerusalem, then moving to Judea and all Samaria, then moving to the ends of the earth. We see their job is to be witnesses uh, nearby and then further and further away. And then I always, I always love the second part. Uh, as they're looking at him, he ascends into heaven, and then they're just standing there, looking up. And, and, and I mean, it's almost comical because uh, these these two people robed in white, which are most likely angels, appear and say, what, "Why are you just standing here looking?" <laughs> you know, I kind of wonder. You know, how long would have they have stayed there if those angels hadn't shown up? And they, and they tell them, in the same way he went up, he's coming back. I asked this uh, this question, you know, why why did uh, Jesus leave? Why did he ascend after demonstrating uh, his power and all these things uh, to Jim Pendleton as we were driving to the council retreat this weekend? And he said, well, uh, Jesus had to leave so he could come again. Uh, and I thought, that's, that's, a, that's pretty clever, and it's partially accurate, you know. It's pretty kind of funny. Yeah, he had to leave so he can come back. By the way, uh, you know, if you if you want a, a, a picture that Jesus gives in the Gospels of what his coming back looks like, uh, Matthew twenty eight twenty five rather is a place to go. It says Jesus is coming back, and, and then one of the things that's going to happen is all the nations are going to be gathered and they're going to be judged, and they're going to be uh, judged and put either into two places. They're going to be put away from his presence into eternal fire, or they're going to be invited into His presence to experience eternal life. That's what's happening in the second coming. And and as we talk about this proclamation piece, uh, it's hard not to skip ahead a little to the restoration, because part of the gospel message is not only about Christ's first coming, but a little bit about His... It's also about His second coming. So I'm going to try and hold off and not steal all the thunder from that section, but there are parts of it where you can't help but mention it. So Christ has come and demonstrated His power through His death and resurrection. He is coming to establish his kingdom on earth to answer the and to answer the prayer thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven in the meantime what happens what do we do part of the delay is it so that his people might do something through his power to accomplish his purposes we call this section proclamation. Uh, so I hope that you can understand a little bit what that activity is. It's proclamation. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, as we're starting this, we're going to be looking at what does proclamation look like? Well, what does proclamation look like? We're going to look at three passages uh, this message is called uh, the Great Commission. Really, all of these are, are kinds of commissions. We're going to we're going to end hitting the Great Commission, but we're going to look several places at what does proclamation look like. What, what are some of the aspects of it? Uh, the first place I'd like us to look is First Peter two nine through ten. First Peter two nine through ten.
Uh, and one of the things I want you, you to notice in this is uh, look for the activity of God, look for the identity of his people, and look for the activity of his people. Uh, most of the passages we're going to look at are going to have an upward and inward and an outward aspect to it. Uh, so look with me at 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I love this passage, and as we said, this is one of the ways that we help. We are helped by Scripture to understand. Man, I'm just going to let you know, I'm tired. This is one of those weekends where it feels like, yeah, I'm ready for the weekend now. <laughs> Jennifer was sick last week, which was rough, and then we had uh, the council retreat on Friday and, and Saturday, and then Sunday is a, a work day for me, so I'm ready for the weekend, but it, I, I have a feeling it's not coming for a while. Um, uh, so in this, we uh, we're gonna we're gonna use uh, three Ds to explain what does proclamation look like. And in First Peter two nine through ten, we see that proclamation involves declaring His glory. It involves declaring His glory. So it says all these things that God does for us, the ways He transforms us, and it says why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. What's that describing? That's describing us speaking of, declaring the glory of God. Now, um, as I said, this, this passage has an, an upward aspect, an inward aspect, and an outward aspect. There's an upward aspect in this passage. In this passage, it describes to us who our God is and what His activity is about. You know, it, it says that, uh, and part of it is in, in the way He forms our identity. It says you're a chosen race. Who chose us? Who made us a race? It says we're a holy nation. Who sanctified us? Who made us holy? Who separated us? Who formed us as a nation? It says we're a royal priesthood. I don't know about you, but I'm not in a royal or a priestly line. He is the one who anoints us and consecrates us for these positions. Says he makes us a people for his own possession. He takes ownership of us. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. By whose action? By the act of God through Jesus Christ. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this tells us a lot about God. He's a sanctifying God. He's a God who wants a people for his own possession to declare his glory. He's a merciful God who saves sinners, who puts us into a position. He's a God who saves us, taking us out of darkness into light. This passage is chock full of theology. By the way, part of our purpose in declaring the glory of God should be understanding the nature of God and the activity of God so that we can better declare it. 
And notice how the nature of God, and especially the activity of God, transforms our identity. There's the upward aspect of seeing who God is. There's the inward aspect of who are we. And when I say inward, I don't just mean individually, but I mean corporately. Uh, it's, it's very hard to have a one-person race. It's really hard to have a one-person priesthood. It's really hard to have a one-person nation. It's really hard to have a one-person people. You can be a people person, but you can't be a person people. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. but uh, So it, as, as, as we look at this, God transforms our identity. In fact, this is, once we, you weren't a people, now you are. God's work has transformed who you are. Because of who God is, we have been transformed. Our identity has been transformed. And because our identity has been transformed, because of who our God is, our activity changes. By the way, this, this theme of God wanting to have a, a people is throughout the Bible. Uh, Turn with Genesis. Turn to Genesis for me. This is dangerous because I'm looking up the referent out of memory, so I might get there and say that's not where it. Uh oh. Um, in in Genesis, one of the things that we have in Genesis uh, 17, uh, verse seven, there's this promise. In, in Abra- to Abraham in the covenant of circumcision. And I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring and after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. This is the first time where where this is uh, this idea is mentioned. that And if you look through the Bible, as you read through the Old Testament, as you look in the New Testament, you see over and over again there's this theme of God desiring to be God to a people and to have a people for his own possession. This is one of the first times it, 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 it's mentioned, but uh, the other day I even did kind of one of those, you know, a, a plop and read where you just kind of let your Bible fall and, and start reading. And I ran into a, to another passage in, in the prophets where they're, they're decrying the way in which Israel is leaving God and his purposes. And it, it, after this section of judgment, it talks about, but I'm going to restore you. So that you will be my people and I will be your God throughout Scripture, a part of God's plan, part of God's purpose is to have a people for Himself. We are that people. And then as a people, we have a purpose. It is to declare the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We're we're a people made by Him, for Him. The activities we do should reflect this. By the way, in this particular passage, it isn't really qualified who we're to declare His excellencies to. It isn't really qualified who we're told to declare His excellencies to. It just says, this is is what we do. This, This is what we're about. And one of the things I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you to declare the excellencies of God to yourself. There are times when you need to be strengthened. There are times when you need to be encouraged. There are times when you need to be uplifted. It's because you've forgotten who your God is. 
and what He's done for you. You need to meditate. You need to declare the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You need to remember how He chose you. You need to remember how He saved you. You need to remember how He's empowered you. And call to mind all the goodness of God that He has poured out upon you in Jesus Christ. That's a, a devotional aspect of declaring the glory of God. I'd encourage you, even when you're really discouraged, you know, as long as you're not on the bus or something, that might be a little awkward. But you know, if if you're if you're in a place where you're getting down and you're getting discouraged, declare the glory of God to yourself and do it aloud, so that you can hear the excellencies of God proclaimed by yourself to yourself. Read, read psalms that worship Him. Find your favorite passages and declare the excellencies of God to yourself. I think we should not only declare the excellencies of God to ourselves, but we should declare it to other believers. Part of our purpose as the church is to edify, to build up, to encourage, to strengthen, to spur one another on towards love and good works. You know one of the best ways to do that? To be reminded of who our God is and what He's done for us. How loving He is, how gracious He is, how merciful He is. He sent His only Son to die on our behalf. That He has bought us with the precious blood of Christ. That Christ did not stay in the grave, but is risen from the dead into newness of life. That He has sent His Holy Spirit to empower and encourage us. That God controls all things. That God works all things together to the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purposes. Saints need to be encouraged. I hope we're encouraging one another. I hope we're building up one another. How? By declaring the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Another area we should be involved in this proclamation is I think we should be proclaiming His glory, declaring His glory, telling of His excellencies to unbelievers. Uh, This is a weird weird story, but I remember uh, at Moody Bible Institute, uh, that has nothing to do with the story. I was in the elevator one time, and and somebody else got in the elevator and... um, he was like, I just got to tell you something. And, and he, he started telling me about this store that he really liked. I think it was like American Eagle or something like that. I, I, I don't really remember. It was many years ago, but he was like, I really love this company. They, they make great clothes. They've got this, you know, great brand and like they treat their people fairly. They do, you know, they do all these great things and, you know, I just love their clothes and things like that. Now, what was he doing? He was proclaiming the excellencies of American Eagle. You know, after but before this service, I, I, I saw a, a, a fellow UGA fan, and we were declaring the excellencies of Georgia football and their accomplishments this past week um, against a very challenging Murray State team. Uh, but you know, but one of the things I want you to think about are what are the things I praise. What are the things that I think are so excellent, so beautiful, so glorious, that I can't help telling people about it? Are you, in your interaction with unbelievers, just say, hey, look, I want to tell you about how great my God is. 
Somebody says, how you're doing? You know, in, in the South, most of the time, people don't really uh, have anything behind that question. But, hey, you can unload on them. They asked it. <laughs> Say, how you doing? I'm so blessed. I'm just so encouraged. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you how great my Savior is. Let me tell you what I read in the Scripture and just blew me away. Are we declaring His excellency? This is a a part of our task, and it's a part of our purpose. In the short time we have between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, we declare His glory. And in this, by the way, there's there's some freedom in in this one. In this one, he doesn't talk about the he doesn't talk about any of the results. It doesn't say to declare his glory so that you can have converts. It doesn't say declare his glory so the the church is built up. He doesn't say declare his glory so your own soul is uplifted. Now we hope all those things happen. But declaring the glory of God, declaring what He has done and who He is, how excellent, how marvelous He is, is an end in itself. Secondly, uh, we, what does proclamation look like? Declaring His glory, first of all. Second of all, delivering His gospel. Uh, let's look at Second Corinthians five, uh, fourteen through twenty-one. Uh, so, first of all, what does proclamation look like? It looks like declaring His glory. Second of all, it looks like delivering His gospel. Second Corinthians five, fourteen through twenty-one. Hear now the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 14, going through verse 21. Uh, Really, we're just going to focus on verse 17 and following, but uh, verses 14 and, and, and following were just so good, I couldn't leave them out. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, there's a, a whole lot of depth. There's a whole lot of beauty. There's a whole lot going on in this passage. But, but we see in this, we, we are entrusted 
with delivering the gospel of Jesus Christ, His message to the nations. Uh, as, as we look at it, uh, one of the things we're, we're reminded of is the gospel simply means good news. What's the good news? That God is reconciling the world to Himself through Jesus Christ. One of the things that this passage tells us is those who have uh, received reconciliation with God are then to be ambassadors or to be messengers of reconciliation to others. Again, we see we, we see upward, inward and outward realities demonstrated in, in this deliverance. It's because of God. It's because of the love of Christ. It's because of the sacrifice that He has made that we're able to be reconciled to God. We have a God who pursues us. We have a God who pursues reconciliation. Desires it. We have a God who, who, who transforms our identity. By the way, uh, being an ambassador was something that was important in this day and age. You don't have email, you don't have phone calls. Uh, you, don't, you do have letters, but even with those, uh, you've, you've got to be careful who you give it to in order to have it delivered. So, what, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who is entrusted with a message in order to, li- to deliver it from another. So the message that we have isn't what we think. It isn't what we have. It's not our message. It's somebody else's message. It's the message of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. An ambassador didn't have uh, the responsibility to come up with their own message. No, their job was to deliver someone else's message. As an ambassador, it is our job to deliver the gospel. Now, there's a couple of things that are involved in this activity. And by the way, usually uh, churches can be really good at one or the other, but what we really hope is that churches are good at both. One is to protect the message. You don't want the message to be corrupted. And by the way, most of the letters in the New Testament outside of the Gospels, are usually uh, written, uh, particularly the, the epistles. They are written to places where something is threatening the purity of the message that was delivered and received. People were started to be tempted by believing that it's not just Christ that saves us, but something else. That it's Christ and a little bit of works. That is Christ and a little bit of Judaism, and that is Christ and a bit of following the law. Or, or perhaps it's corrupted not towards legalism, but towards licentiousness and say, well, because Christ died, it doesn't really matter what you do or how you live. Go on sinning and enjoy yourself. And then the letters are, are written saying, no, 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 that's not the true gospel of grace. The grace not only saves us, but empowers us to pursue Christ's purposes. So, by the way, there are some churches that are really good at protecting the gospel, but there's a second part of being an ambassador. You don't just want to protect the message from corruption. You want to make sure the message is properly delivered. Part of the reason why we want to protect the message is is not just to protect it from people, but to protect it for people. The gospel has the power of 
life and death in it. It has the message of the salvation of Jesus Christ. It tells us how we might escape from the eternal wrath of God and enter into eternal life with Christ. Is there any message more important? As ambassadors... That's an identity He gives us. We've been reconciled so that now, and, and now we are called to be ambassadors of His reconciliation, to tell other people there is a way to be united with God. There is good news in Jesus Christ. What does proclamation look like? It looks like declaring His glory. It looks like delivering His gospel. I love that it says entrusting to us the message of of reconciliation. You realize that you're a trustee of the gospel? And by the way, I'm sure you've heard this in other places, uh, you may be the only gospel that some people encounter. You may be the only one that they encounter. They might pick up a Bible, but most uh, people, if they aren't a Christian, if they aren't interested in that thing, are probably not picking up Bibles and reading them. You might be the only contact point. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ to declare His gospel if you've been saved by Him. So we see proclamation looks like declaring His gospel. It looks like delivering, sorry, declaring His glory, delivering His gospel. Thirdly, it is discipling His people. Now, discipling isn't a real word, but otherwise all my points wouldn't begin with D. Um, so it, it, it's Matthew 28 is the last uh, large passage we'll look at. And by the way, there are lots of other places. Uh, with this series, as we try and cover a lot of ground, I'll usually look at a few of the many passages we could look at. In fact, uh, um, Right before this message, I got an email from Jim Pendleton, and it had five commissioning statements of Jesus in the New Testament. And so this is just uh, one of them we're going to look at that Jesus has in Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. By the way, this pattern that we've been going through looking at who God is and what He has done and then our corporate identity and then our activity, uh, that pattern occurs over and over again in Scripture. As you read through Scripture, look for that pattern where it shows us who God is and what He's done for us and the identity we have because of that and therefore the activity we are to have in light of it. Uh, verse 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they saw him, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
We have in this uh, passage a, a, a command to, di- to, to disciple, to uh, make disciples. Uh, those of you who have probably heard uh, this passage taught know that the um, uh, primary uh, command in this passage is to make disciples. And that the other commands, by the way, some people say they aren't commands uh they are semantically. They aren't necessarily grammatically. Uh, the other commands in that get their weight, get their power from that initial command. So the command is to make disciples, and you kind of wonder, well, how do we do that? How do we accomplish that? It's by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Um, baptism is a wonderful thing, but I think sometimes uh, we treat it as a finish line instead of a starting point. In making disciples, it's a, it's a starting point. The goal is that they know, and not just only know, but observe all that Christ has commanded the disciples. Part of our purpose is, is that we are to be disciples who make disciples. By the way, this, this passage also tells us a lot about Christ, doesn't it? How, how does he begin it off? He says... Jesus starts by saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He is the King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is over all the nations. And he is giving us a command to be involved in a particular activity. Now we have other other scriptures that tell us that uh, we need to be respectful of the earthly rulers and authorities except when their commands and teachings come in conflict with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Except when they tell us not to go and make disciples, to not baptize them in the name of Jesus, to not teach them all that He has commanded us. We have Christ who who has authority over all nations, commissioning us to all nations. By the way, remember what I said occurred in Matthew 25? That there is a judgment coming of all nations. A judgment coming from a king. A a judgment that that will uh, be determined whether or not they have submitted to his kingly rule or rebelled against it. Part of the top reason why we have this time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ is so that the nations might hear the news of reconciliation, that an excellent and a glorious God has called them to follow Him, to enter into His rule, that they might escape the wrath to come and enter into His kingdom with praise and honor. We are the means which he has found desirable to make that message known. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I, I, I love about the scriptures is it, it says uh, that God has chosen the weak and the foolish to shame the proud and the strong. Uh, I think of... Uh, 
we, we've got a great basketball coach in, in our church uh, in uh, Terry Tippett. He's run, won several state championships and, and other accolades and, and things like that. Um, and, and, you know, if I... If I gave him the uh, Memphis Grizzlies and, and I gave myself a, uh, a JV basketball team and played against them, would it be very impressive if he won that game? No. Grizzlies should. Now, if, if I beat him with that JV team, I could make some pretty bold claims about my abilities as a head coach. Why? Because I, I use the weak and the foolish to overcome the strong and, and the powerful. I, one of the reasons why God is using us is because, saints, we are weak and foolish. Yet He wants to make His power known through weak vessels. Why? That He might receive more honor. That He might receive more glory. That He might receive more praise. We're called to go into all nations to tell them the excellencies of Christ, to deliver His Gospel, to when people receive it in faith, to disciple them, to teach them how to follow Jesus, how to be baptized in His name, and how to be followers of Him and His commandments. Between His first coming and His second coming, I hope that we are faithful. I hope that we are fruitful in proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to challenge you. As you go out this week, pray for and look for opportunities to declare His goodness. Opportunities to declare His excellence. Uh, One of my mentors calls it, just look for opportunities to brag on God any chance you get.